turn this thing on. There we go. Before the missions conference, we finished with the book of James, and we have been working on the book of First Thessalonians, and and so uh, I think we'll just move that Bible study to Thursday nights and try to finish that up and uh, just be in prayer. Uh, Brother Leland will be preaching Sunday morning, and uh, then, Lord willing, I'll be back here Sunday evening. Uh, with an answer to our prayers one way or the other. So that, let's just pray that it's definitive, that we're able to make that decision, and that it doesn't just hang on and linger with people trying to make up their minds. And uh, so we're going through the book of First Thessalonians, and uh, the one thing that we have noticed in this book as we've gone through are the um, references to end-time events. And, of course, we get down to the end of chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, uh, is truly one of the classic passages in your Bible. It is one of the go-to places to understand the rapture of the church. But tonight, what we're going to try to do is, is keep all of these things in uh, their proper context. And so we start in verse 1, and, and Paul says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Now, this is nothing new here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We, we understand that there is a pattern that the local church, uh, as Paul would go from town to town, city to city, and start these churches, um, it was not trying to figure out something brand new every time. I mean, we've often... Uh, joked uh, about the different kind of jobs that we've had here fixing this building up in a union is because just about the time we learn what we're doing and develop the skills and the knowledge, we're finished. And, and it's not going to need to be done again for another, Lord willing, 10 or 20 years. Uh, 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 with some of those works that we've done, like putting those towers back together, uh, that really and truly ought to be good for uh, not only my lifetime, but the next generation. I mean, it, it's all solid wood. It, it lasted from 1863 till uh, whenever it all got rotten. And uh, so now that it's all put back together again and high and dry with a little maintenance, it'll go another hundred years. But that's not what Paul was doing. He wasn't doing something different every place he went. He was doing the same thing over and over and over again. In fact, what our church did in Fleshman's, New York, you want to know something interesting? The only deacon in, in the community Baptist church, uh, he and I met, oh, probably 2010 or something like that at... Cornerstone Bible Baptist Church in Fleshman's. As we were just starting out up there, he was up there with another friend of his and our dear friend Charlie Horton. They were going fishing and they ran out of gas on the highway. 
And so they were kind of stuck there at the church until somebody could get to the gas station and, and get them back on the road again. But so I've, I've known this man and really and truly it's a small world when you're serving the Lord. And, and Paul is telling the Thessalonians here. Now remember, chapter uh, 1 He addresses the letter to the Thessalonians and he tells them what a great example they are and how that the message is sounded out through all of uh, the regions all around uh, Macedonia and and Greece and into Asia even about uh, all the work that they have done. In chapter 3, he spent a, a great deal of time talking about how dear the Thessalonians were and the fact that he was wondering about their faith. And when Timothy came back and reported that the church was going well and they were holding on to the truths, Paul said, if you continue to face it, he said, we live. He said, that's what our life is about. You, you have uh, brought us joy. But now chapter 4, he, he changes here a, a little bit and he is reminding them of things they already have. The pattern has already been established. It's already set. And and so he's telling them in past tense, he says, I'm exhorting you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received. Now, one of the things I I am so impressed and, and is on my heart and mind is that Paul had such little bit of time here in Thessalonica. In fact, he sent Timothy and what did Timothy do? Timothy did not need to establish them in the faith. Paul had already done it. He just didn't know that. They had what they needed and they were actually doing this. And Paul is basically saying, you did good, but I'm going to let you know one more time. You got to hold on. You gotta keep the stuff. You got, you cannot change. You've already received it. He said that ye would abound more and more. Uh, I think I've told the story more than once as a freshman in Bible college. I was, uh, polishing the floor. I worked at the nursing home for Cox Medical Center. And, uh, I kind of noticed as I walked into the room in the, uh, in the fifth hallway there, that the name on the door was Cox. And this was Lester E. Cox's widow, uh, the founder of the hospital, one of the big movers and shakers in the great metropolis of Springfield, Missouri. And uh, uh, and so I, as I was polishing the, room, the floor in there, her daughter was in there and she looked and said, you're a nice young man, what are you doing in Springfield? And uh, I said, well, I'm here in Bible college. Uh, I'm, I'm a student at Baptist Bible College. And she says, oh, yeah, yeah. She says, you'll get over that as you get older. Uh, no, actually, I've gotten worse. Amen? Uh, I'm holding on tighter. I mean, this is part of uh, last night. I, I uh, Well, a week ago, Wednesday, I started the series there at Community on Searching for the True Church. And I know Brother Fryman believes and and taught these things, but he's only been gone since June, and they seem to have never heard it before. 
And uh, so I've been just trying. Last night was on believers' baptism, and I went up to the deacon after I said, "Are we still friends?" And he said, "Well, it's Bible. I, I can't do anything about it, you know." And but there's some people in the church that are really struggling with these things. And I, I told them very simply, I don't claim to know a whole lot or be. And Brother Randolph was there, which was really great. I said, this man's been in the ministry a lot longer than I have. And he'll, he'll affirm these words. If you don't hold on to what the Bible says, there is no telling where you're going to end up. This is our protection. The words that Paul had given them, he says, I want you to abound in them more and more. Look at verse 2. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, listen, there's no doubt about this, my friends. You know what I taught. And then we get into it here in verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now, this ends the first part of Paul's admonition to the Thessalonican church. And he is dealing primarily in these first few verses on their behavior, on their walk. Uh, in fact, it just titled the lesson, How Ye Ought to Walk. That's what he said in verse 1. He said, how you ought to walk and to please God. And here's how you do it. Sanctification. That's almost a bad word in our day and time. How many of you know what the root of the word sanctification is? Holy. The word sanctification means separated unto. It has a purpose. Um, If you really want to try my patience, go down to my toolbox and take tools that are supposed to be used for one thing and use them on something else. I mean, if you take the, we, I have a set of uh, metal drill bits. It's for drilling through steel. And if you take those and use them in wood, you can actually burn up the bits and ruin them. Because it, it wasn't the, the cut of the bit and all of those things. It was not made to drill through wood. It was made to drill through steel, slow. Wood you want to go through it with a very high speed and you just use a plain old uh, uh, steel, they call it high-speed steel or HSS bit, and you can go right through there and you can drill holes all day. But you take those good cobalt bits, they're three times the price. They're designed to do... And it never fails that the one I open up the, the box where all the bits are and the one I need, somebody's been doing something with it. Oh, 
that, that just aggravates me. Or I find the quarter-inch socket that I'm looking for in the drawer with the bigger sockets, the three-eighths. And, and you just waste so much time. Uh, here's what Paul's saying. God has a job for you. And if we misuse what God has given us, guess what? We're not fulfilling the will of God. We're not being sanctified. God has a job. He has. This is our sanctification. And then he goes on to explain that. That we're to abstain from fornication. Now, the word fornication is one of those big words. It's a generic word. It's like the word car. How many different kinds of cars are there? I mean, every time I think, wow, I've got a pretty good handle on this, then some other, I see something in a, in a parking lot somewhere, and I say, wow, I've never seen a car like that before. What? What is this? But it's still a car. It's got four wheels. It's got an engine. Now we have cars with electric motors in them. And if you go back in history, you've got cars with steam engines in them. And I mean, it's all kinds of fun stuff. But fornication is any immoral activity. You see, this is one of the problems that, that we have, is we live in a society that is just saturated in immorality. And if we're going to live for God, the Bible says we've got to live pure lives. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. He's saying there ought to be a difference between the Christians. In your notes here, I said not like the Gentiles, but who was Paul writing to? Gentile Christians. You see, when a Gentile got saved, he stopped living like the Gentiles. See, this is the great lie of our day and time is you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and not change anything. You can have Jesus in your country music. In fact, they have biker churches now uh, where you can pull up in your leather jackets and your chains and your Harleys with the loud pipes blaring and everybody pulls into the parking lot and makes a ruckus. and Yeah, we're, we're bikers for Jesus. Um, I think somebody even made a patch. Hell's angels for Jesus. And, and, I mean, you're just sitting there going, okay, this is, there's a problem here. And is that, Do I have to explain the problem to you? I, I don't think so. Um, and we need to know how to live. The... The Bible tells us that we're not to live in the lust of concupiscence. Now, the primary meaning of that is talking about immoral thoughts and immoral practices, but it also 
has the sense of greediness in it. You can have that same lust for power, for money, for a position, for a career. You, you can be driven. And listen, New York City is a city of drive, is it not? I mean, if you flunk out and lose your job, there's five people standing in line to take it. And uh, everybody is screaming now that Amazon is moving to Long Island City. Can you believe it? It says that they're going to take uh, more than a decade to build the buildings and the infrastructure that is necessary to support their uh, second or third headquarters. And uh, uh, But if you want to apply for a job, I think the website's actually open that you can put your application in already uh, to be one of the twelve to 20,000 people that are eventually going to work there uh, at Amazon. And uh, somebody says, so are you against Amazon? No. You know, too many of the communists and socialists and all of that are lined up screaming about Amazon. I can't get on the same side as the mayor. Uh, I just can't do it. Um, But let's just pray that you and I can know how to behave and how to live. We don't have to be driven by our own desires. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, well, if you don't toot your own horn, nobody else will. Well, I've always tried to do things that way when it is my saxophone because I'm not sharing reeds with anybody. That's sick. Uh, But, other than that, unless you learn to play a musical instrument that might be called a horn... Don't toot your own horn. Don't look because here's what happens. You see, the next verse almost seems like it's out of context. Verse 6 says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Now, let me just give you the segue here, the connection. You see, if I am living in the lust of concupiscence, if I am driven to satisfy myself or my desires, what am I going to have to do? Take advantage of other people. Isn't that the way it works? You see... I can't. How many times did we hear it under the presidency of Bill Clinton? What a person does in their private life has no bearing in the real world. Uh, Character is not the issue. And now that Trump's president, character is the issue. I mean, and, and they constantly slander his character and try to tell you how bad he is. I mean, we, and here's the result of lives that are driven by the lust of concupiscence. If you want to understand what's going on, there is politicians and they want power 
and they will do anything in their realm, and they're going to step on you, they're going to squish you, they're going to import uh, votes from uh, countries and have non-citizens. They're going to do. They're going to break any rule. Now, we as Christians ought not live that way. Amen. Because if we do, if we decide that we're going to do this no matter what, if we're going to find ourselves in a situation where we are going to affect our relationships with other people. Need to remember something. God is the judge. He is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. Paul says, listen, I'm just reminding you of what I already taught you. Verse 7 is one of those great summary verses in the Bible. One that we can use. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Here's a question. You can ask yourself, if I do this, if I make this decision... Is it moving me toward holiness? Or am I taking a step closer to the world? You know what? So many decisions in our lives would be made if we would only ask that question first. God has called us to holiness. It's not preached much anymore. Many, many people, they just do not care about personal holiness. And yet, if you study every revival in the history of this country, in the history of the world, it always started with personal holiness. Here's the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that we should know, that every one of you should know, because God has not called us unto uncleanness, now, verse 8, we move on here. He says, He therefore that despiseth... Now, what are you despising here? Well, if you're defrauding your brother in any situation... You know, how many times have you heard somebody say, Well, if they're silly enough to believe that, then it's their fault they get taken advantage of. Haven't you heard that in the real world? You see, that's what the lust of concupiscence does. That is defrauding. And the Bible tells us that you're despising another human being when you have that attitude toward them. And guess what? You're not despising a human being. You're despising the God that created the human being. Uh, You're not despising the laws of God when we scoff at them, when we disregard them, when we disobey them. We're despising the God who gave the laws. We, and we need, this is directed not at the unsaved, but this is directed Unto the saved people, we need to be careful. God has given us, what's that say there at the end of verse 8? His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. And so, 
we, 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 Paul is giving them one of the sternest warnings in all of Scripture. But then in verse 9 he says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You know, when there is dissension, and this is one of the reasons I want you to really pray for the Community Baptist Church between now and Sunday morning, if you would, because there, there is dissension in the church right now. And here's why there is. It's because somebody's not listening to God. Somebody has, or somebody's, I don't know. Uh, I've only met a handful of the people who claim to be members, and several of the ones that have been coming on Wednesday night aren't even members, and it's rather confusing who is a member and who isn't a member, and uh, we've got to really just straighten some things out. You see, Paul said, if you have the God who is love living in you, I don't have to teach you to love each other. It happens. Uh, Years ago, I was asked to preach at a fellowship meeting on fellowship. And uh, I was praying, Lord, uh, what do I I say here? and the Lord gave me a message. It was basically this. If, if I love Jesus and you love Jesus and we're serving the same Jesus, we ought to be working together, not against each other. Whether you like me or not. Amen? Uh, that really doesn't have... Uh, the. That's really not where the emphasis is. If... If you truly love Jesus, I truly love Jesus. Paul says, listen, we're not going to have to teach you how to love people. God does it because God is love. Read 1 John chapter 4. And and we move on here. He says, "Um, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. You know, that's one of the reasons why we have missions conference. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. And and our prayer is that you'll increase your love for the lost world. That our church will have more strength and more ability. And just to let you know, uh, Sunday was the largest missions offering that we have had in probably three or four years. You know what? Some people got excited about missions. That's good. And guess what? It was a great encouragement when I let Brother Randolph know because he was just going, Oh, I hope I did a good job for you, Brother Pete. And that beautiful, deep voice of his. And, and, uh, and uh, I said, Well, Brother Randolph, I just want you to know, Sunday, uh, Sunday night we count the offering. It's the biggest missions offering. Uh, that we've had in a very long time. He says, well, that's a good sign. And uh, so you keep praying that it keeps up. Amen? Uh, I don't think it'll be exactly, it uh, doesn't, but we had really a double offering on Sunday. And so praise the Lord for that. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. 
he says, but even though I don't need to write, even though the God of love is living in you, and He is teaching you to love, you have to work on increasing it. Because we all have this thing called a human nature that gets in the way now, doesn't it? It doesn't take long. It doesn't take many missteps to let that nature take the forefront. And so, uh, uh, we, we read here in verse 11, two more things here in, in verse 11, verse 12. He says, and that ye study to be quiet. Now, sometimes I wish my kids would do that. How about you? Not my kids, your kids, all right? Uh, but the, the simple truth of the matter is, the Bible says that we need to study. You know, one of the reasons why we teach the way we do, the Bible says that it's through the foolishness of preaching, and we want to follow the biblical pattern. Uh, I don't know who really invented this, but it came into uh, being in a real way back in the 60s with the hippies and everybody where a group of people would sit together in a circle and there'd be no leader whatsoever and they'd all just talk about the Bible together and that was a Bible study. And actually, you can go and pay unbelievable tuition and sit in a college classroom, and the professor refuses to teach the class because the students are going to teach the class. Now, I fortunately did not have that happen in, 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 in our Bible college because our professors took very seriously their responsibility to teach. And they tried to lay on us the seriousness of study. That's one of the reasons we give out handouts. So you can review. So you can study. So we don't have... What did the pastor mean when he said this? Oh, I think he meant this. No, I think he meant this. That goes on in some churches. When, When he's saying studying to be quiet, it's... Learning to agree not only with the Word of God, but with each other in the local church setting. To have that unified spirit. It says, and then it says, and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you. Uh, You know, People talk about how difficult the Bible is to understand. And I always just laugh when I read verses like this. I mean, how could Paul be any more plain? He he said, you take care of your business with your hands. Okay. I don't think there's a whole lot of room to move on that now, is there? Uh, There just isn't uh, a big opportunity here. It says that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. You know, we, we live in a world that is just steeped, our society, in socialism. 
that everybody ought to take the best that they have and give it to everybody else. And that people that cannot work or do not want to work shouldn't have to work. They should just have everything handed to them. Uh, They call that the uh, millennial mindset, I think it's called. Um, I have another word for it. It's not very nice. Uh, It's just plain dumb. Uh, If you want something, you've got to work for it now, don't you? And this is what Paul is saying here, is that we can put forth our best effort, that we can walk honestly. You know, not everyone that comes through those doors is going to agree with us. But I have heard more than one say it over the year, Pastor, I don't agree with you. I don't like the way you preach. I don't like your church. But I know you guys are just right along with the Bible. But I'm leaving. Well, if that's why you're leaving, that's an awful good reason to leave now, isn't it? Because what we're trying to do is follow the Scriptures. So Paul is admonishing them to have the right attitude toward God. What is that attitude? What is that walk toward God? It's a walk toward holiness. Because if I'm not walking in holiness, it's going to affect how I walk with my brothers here on earth. If I'm not honest, if I'm trying to take advantage of people, if I'm trying to push my way ahead... I'm not despising men. I'm not despising God's laws. I'm despising God. That's pretty serious ground to be walking upon. That's not a place you want to find. And if you will let God do His work in your life, He will make you love people. When we go through the discipleship, Lesson 6 is on the Holy Spirit. How can in the world can we get along when we have such diverse backgrounds and cultures and language even and all of these things, uh, different social strata, different uh, economics. Everything is different in all of our lives. But I'll tell you, I've been in a lot of churches and there aren't many like this church where we actually exercise care and compassion one for another, the way the Bible says. And you know who's responsible for that? That's the presence of God working in our hearts. But don't be satisfied with where you are. Paul says, let's keep it going. Let's get done what needs to be done with our own hands. And he says, I I want to make sure that you've got the right perspective towards death. A walk towards death. You know, uh, I, I was getting on the plane in Dallas. And we pulled up to the church there. Brother Webster's, we were returning the van that he had loaned us. And my phone rang. And I noticed it was my Aunt Lucy. And, and she hung up. And five minutes later, she called back and said, I've got some bad news for you. She said, you know, her daughter had passed away. 53 years old. Young, young woman, in spite of what you think about 50s. Amen? And, uh, you know, it, it's a, 
one of the things I learned working in the nursing home, no matter how sick somebody was, no matter how long they laid there in that bed, not even being able to move themselves or make a sound other than a groan, when death finally came, it was still a shock. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning death. He said, ignorance is really man's greatest problem. How many of you have ever just made a terrible mistake because you just didn't know what to do? All of us have, haven't we? How many of us have made wrong decisions and have had to say, I'm sorry, I didn't know this. I just didn't know. If I'd known what you were going through, I would have, I, I would have treated the situation a little different. We've all been there. And, and Paul's saying, listen, as you are living in this love, as you're dealing with other people, you need to understand that death is coming and you need to have a solution to ignorance. Now, when we talk about death, there's only one problem. Once you've experienced it, you can't come back and talk about it. Uh, we have no real knowledge of the other side. Nobody has been there except one, the Lord Jesus. You know, that's why these people, they all get around, you know, they were clinically dead for five minutes. And every so often someone says, Pastor, what, what do you think about those near-death experiences? And I said, well, you just answered it. Oh. oh, yeah, okay. It wasn't death. It was near death. Yeah, yeah, that's the answer. Because the only people that have experienced death and came back were brought back through the divine intervention of God. And we have Lazarus being totally silent about his four days in the grave. The widow's son uh, at Nain was totally silent about his experience in death for a few hours. Uh, Elisha uh, uh, I mean, Elijah, when he healed uh, the woman's son who had uh, brought him back to life, he had been dead the better part of a day. God does not give us that information because there is only one source of information beyond the grave. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't, don't listen to people. I mean, there's... Uh, People talk about, uh, you listen to them, and they, they give a very chilling description of some of the things that we might hear about, uh, read about hell in our Bible. They talk about these things as they were dead for, clinically dead for a matter of moments. But I will tell you this, no soul has ever gone to hell and come back. Not one. You, you not, it's not going to happen. So don't believe them. When they made, uh, someone made this movie, uh, some Indian doctor was knocked unconscious and quote unquote clinical dead, and he made a whole movie about his 
experiences and how wonderful it was. Man's no more saved than anyone else that is unsaved. We'll just leave it there. His wonderful experiences are giving people a hope that isn't a hope. Have you ever been in that position where something in your life was just unbearable? And you came to a point and you said, something's got to change, and it did for the worse. You see, that's what the devil loves to do. And Paul said, listen, I want you not to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. There is no hope that is, there is nothing in this world more dangerous than a false hope. Because when I believe things are going to work out, when I believe that based on ignorance, based on uh, deception, based on things that are absolutely wrong, the disaster is tenfold. And so Paul says, listen, you don't need to sorrow like those that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Now, every time you see that phrase in the Bible, 255 times in your King James Bible, the word of the Lord is used, including this verse here. That's in that number. That means... God is saying something and he's guaranteeing it by his name. So, what we have is Paul reaching back into the Old Testament and prophesying. He is making an announcement and he says, We which are alive and remain, uh, uh, let's... uh, uh, Unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with, uh, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, life is discouraging sometimes, is it not? It just, how many of you were trudging through the snow and the slush to get here into the service tonight going, oh, wow, what a fun trip. It's like, oh, no, every crazy and their uncle is going to be driving on the roads. And and, uh, Leland was telling me they pulled around the corner. There's a whole group of people arm in arm walking down the middle of the street in the slush. Right in the traffic. I mean, people do the dumbest things when you get a little snow on the ground. When it rains. When it gets hot. When it gets cold. 
People just do dumb things. You know why? Because it's me first. That is the cry of the human being. But, you see, we have a responsibility toward God to know how to live righteously and holy in these last days. We have a responsibility toward the world in which we live to live honestly, to do honest work, to give a good testimony of the grace of Jesus Christ to make sure that we are not taking advantage of someone. I've, uh, I've tried. I, the, the Lord just has not given me liberty to preach the sermon on the most wicked person in the whole world, and that is the person who takes advantage of someone else's problems so they can get their points and raise their esteem, to, uh, they believe, of God toward them. Uh, there's nothing more wicked than that. But if we let Jesus work in us, he'll teach us to love people. I don't need your problems to be a good pastor. I'm so glad about that. You know what? We all need this book called the Bible. We'll pick up here. We didn't cover hardly anything about the second coming of the Lord. and We'll pick this up um, when we pick up there. And, but let's, let's ask God to help us. That we're going to abound more and more. That we're going to walk in the way. By the way, Paul was not giving them anything new. This was all past tense. They had all of this knowledge. And Paul is spending all this time, a whole chapter in this short little book, just telling them over and over again, you know what I said. Now, let's do it. And how many times in life do we know what we should do and we don't do it? Well, let's join with the Thessalonians and listen to the Apostle Paul. And ask God for the grace to just do it. Amen? Let's pray.